Thank you for listening to Ivy Podcast, where we feature weekly leadership conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Now, here is your host, John Karsibayev. Hey everybody, my name is Luke Kerrigan. I am co-owner and CEO of Teradin, which we're rebranding and we'll get into that. It's going to be core care. I do a few things. I'm also director of sales at a company called Phenom People out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania uh, that does CRMs and talent acquisition career sites and then co-host of the Bo and Luke Show podcast as well. Well, Luke, thanks so much for making time to join us on the Ivy podcast. You, you Obviously, you have a lot going on. But before we dive in and talk about your current projects, give us a thumbnail version of your career prior to that. Yeah, I mean, thumbnail version of the career. Well, I'm going to go way back. So I was one of those guys that uh, I went to college for like six weeks and it wasn't for me. Uh, So I actually started my career in Chicago in the restaurant industry, waiting tables, uh, then becoming a manager in the restaurant industry, which by the way, was awesome. Like my, my best job I ever had was, uh, managing a restaurant and bar across street from Wrigley field where the Cubs play baseball, which is like, if you're in your mid twenties doing that, like that's like the pinnacle of life to me at least. (laughs) Uh, but you know, as I met my wife, uh, you know, it wasn't so cool as you get older when you're working nights and every single weekend, Oh, when you're trying to have a family and grow your career, the restaurants aren't that great anymore. Uh, so I started to get into sales and one of my first sales jobs with, with career builder in Chicago, that's where their headquarters is. And I started off at the lowest level of sales that they have there. So when I say lowest level, like I was cold calling farms, actual farms, trying to sell them job postings. And like, so the question is like, do farmers drive buy job postings? John, they don't, I promise you, they don't buy job postings. And I learned that, but I was able to uh, move my way forward, got promoted six times within three years, uh, eventually went over to work for Monster, their competitor. And while I was there, met up with some other people uh, in 2015 and started Teradin, the staffing firm. So now you fast forward, what is it like seven years later now from that? I can promise you, we talk about this on the episode too, I've made every mistake uh, a business owner or entrepreneur can make. I, I'm, I'm sure I've made all the mistakes. So I've learned from those and now things are really looking up. I've able uh, to adapt, adapt the rest of my life from those mistakes to uh, turn them into successes. And now things are, uh, you know, going well, but that's the, uh, that's the snapshot. How I, got I love it today. Very colorful background. I appreciate the insights and it makes sense at the same time, the progression you've made, you've spent some time in the industry, you know, with career builder, with monster, and you learn the ropes of essentially that, I guess, the technology organization, how they go about staffing. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Teradin. What problem are you guys solving and what opportunities do you see in the market these days? So we've done, I'll tell you, Teradin in the past, we've done, you know, permanent placement or like direct placement. We've gone into the software industry. We've, been, we've always been in the healthcare space. We dabbled in RPO a little bit as well right now. And we're actually rebranding the new company name is going to be called core care. And what we're doing is just straight temporary employment for the healthcare industry. 
So registered nurses, licensed practical nurses, and certified nurse aides, uh, all on weekly assignments, usually in the long-term care industry, but branching out from there as well. Wow, that's exciting. And congrats on, you know, on, on rebrands. And I'm sure that's also, uh, it's not easy. It's, there's a lot of things to, you know, as you, as you build a company and then you rebrand, but obviously you see certain opportunities that made you, you know, make certain decisions when it comes to rebranding and, you know, probably pivoting as a strategy. So share with us a little bit more about those opportunities that you saw in the market. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, everyone knows because of the pandemic and everything going around. Like, if you have experience in the healthcare industry and you know the industry well, that's where you want to be in right now. I mean, everybody is hurting for talent right now. Not only is, you know, are the organizations hurting, but you have a, an extra problem where you're getting a lot of burnout from the employees on the healthcare side, uh, which, you know, really creates a need, uh, a steady need in the marketplace for that right now. So we made the decision just to really niche down on mm -hmm. that specific sector uh, and only focus on that. So even if other opportunities come our way right now, uh, we, we really don't chase them. We just want to improve at that and, uh, you know, obviously be the best for our clients and our employees that can be. That, that makes perfect sense. As they say, the riches are in the niches. And I think with the current, you know, situation in the market, it only makes sense. Yep. So as you've been in the industry for quite some time, and obviously you do a lot of research in terms of what are the different trends, what are the different, you know, just overall in the staffing and talent acquisition space, what are you personally excited about? What are you, what, what are you just looking into Luke's, uh, you know, the crystal ball in terms of uh, what are you, what are you predicting the market will shift towards to? And I'm speaking more around the staffing, the recruitment space. Yeah, well, I think the, obviously the wages are raising right now nationwide. I mean, you have inflation going on, even for uh, jobs that used to only pay $11, $12 an hour, they're seeing wages go, you know, 18, 19 an hour, even into the 20s, right? So what's exciting to me is if you look at the employees that we hire, we play, pays, uh, place on, you know, temporary assignments, we actually get to change the view of what we're doing. So let me explain. When I say change the view of what we're doing, <clears throat> people used to look at these as just a job. $11, $12 an hour, you can be a nurse aide, right? That's a job, John. Mm -hmm. Now that the wages are, raising, or wages are raising, we're able to look at that and provide an actual career for people. So to us, and we talk about this internally with my partner, Corey Donovan, we talk about this all the time. Well, what does a career mean? Well, a career means that you get to drive a dependable car. A career means that you get to consistently put food on the table for your family, that you're maybe not living just paycheck to paycheck and having all those worries. And we see that the folks that are in these careers now, they're actually improving their own lives themselves at a drastic rate that they might not have done for the $11, $12 an hour. And it makes total sense uh, if you have the opportunity to do this for yourself and your family, you're going to put more effort into it. You're going to evolve. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is something we haven't seen in the past in the healthcare industry. We haven't seen it in the past 20 years. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it that's in our lifetime. So it's really nice to be a part of that. And then to be forward thinking and say, okay, well, if this is what we're going to do, then what else 
do the employees expect? And then how can we have, since they're evolving and they're doing better at their jobs, how can we attribute that to the clients? So that now when they're paying for something, because in the healthcare industry, the rates are rising, and I'm sure the clients and the healthcare providers aren't ecstatic about paying higher rates. But let me ask you this, would they be happier with a better product, especially when that product is a person? Are they happier with someone that makes, you know, a real uh, great addition to their team? Somebody that they're proud, that's proud to work there and treats their residents really well. And we've learned that, you know, there's a lot of positives that can go with this and it can really be a win-win for everyone involved. So you partner with organizations of various size and yep. those that are more successful than the others at attracting and retaining the top talent in this highly competitive market these days, what are the different characteristics or maybe even strategies or policies and procedures that they had put in place that really allows them to succeed in this space? Or maybe on the other side, as a practitioner, what are some of the recommendations that you provide to them in order to, to, to stay competitive and, and you know, improve their batting average when it comes to attracting the best talent? Yeah, well, number one, uh, I think that retention problems get miscategorized all the time. And if you talk to, you know, a lot of companies, they'll say, oh, we have a really bad retention problem. Well, I think it's miscategorized as, or misdiagnosed, I should say, as they don't have a retention problem. They have a hiring problem because they're not hiring the right person in the first place. And then down the line, it's amplified that they weren't the right fit and they end up leaving. So what I see really consistently, and look, we, we own a staffing firm, like our job is recruiting and making sure that the people are really good. Right. Uh, I'll be the first one to point my, the finger at myself and say, we, we suck at hiring. Like we're, we can be so much better at it. We can ask better, more insightful questions about what's important, not only to the candidate, but the company and to align those expectations between the two so that further on down the line, it was a good fit to begin with. And then retention is just the result of those systems that we put in place at the beginning. So what I'm seeing in the industry right now is, you know, you might have some people that are really great at hiring and interviewing and figuring out if someone's going to be a good addition to the team, like hats off to them. I will tell everyone listening, that's a skill and we can all improve at it. But I do see a lack of accountability out there, especially on just the general hiring manager side where they think they're really good at it and they're not. Usually they, and I, I had an interview on my other podcast with Jeff Bowling, uh, the CEO over at Curative. And one of the things he said that really stuck with me is like when his managers interview somebody, he said, well, what'd you, what'd you think of them? And the manager always go, oh, I really like them. And his response is, well, you know, what, what's liking them got to do with anything? How are they going to be good at the, how are they going to do with their job? How are they going to be a great addition to our company and our culture? And it's really funny because a lot of hiring managers cannot articulate that they're not consistent with their interviews. They have no consistent scorecard that they use. And when they make a great hire, maybe they just got lucky that they met the right person, but my gosh, it's so important. Like what's more important than your people? Absolutely. And you bring up a very interesting point, which is uh, I love I love asking all of the guests on, on on the podcast is around interviewing because it's so 
uh, I see I've been on the different sides of the equation of the interview. I've been candidate consultant. I've been the hiring manager, and I'm also part of an organization that builds, you know, not only technology, but provides the services as a staffing organization. Um, there's a lot of emphasis on what are the weaknesses that I can tolerate in that particular candidate versus what are the strengths that I'm missing on my team and can that candidate fill that void. And at the same time, not really creating this two-way street of a conversation to provide the candidate with an opportunity to make to ask the questions and make that determination themselves if you are the right leader to to thrive under or is this the right environment for me to succeed and what are your thoughts on just improving that space of interviewing what are the different recommendations maybe you provide to your client companies or the candidates that you 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 try to help out just talk to us from that perspective yeah well i mean you can't train uh, a cultural fit right you can't train what some how somebody is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can train skills though, and that's what we do, right? So, I mean, if you're going to default to anything and see some really good results, just like okay, well, I have an interview coming up in 30 minutes. What the heck do I do now after listening to this podcast? If anybody's in that frame, I would make sure that they're really aligned on your values and the behaviors that you want. So, list them out. Is urgency something that's really important to your company. Like, does somebody need a high sense of urgency, right? Now from that, you ask behavioral style questions, right? So I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like, okay, name a time in business when um, something wouldn't be able to happen by a deadline. And what did you do in order to make it happen, right? Now I just made that up. You can probably make that question a lot better. Uh, But that's going to be really telling if they can give you an example. If they can't even think of something, where they created urgency to get something done, then there's your giant red flag. Like it's not going to be a fit because they're not going to value that urgency. You can't change somebody's values or train that in them. So, but you, the skills are relatively easy. So if somebody has a high level of urgency, uh, maybe they're really good communicators with people, the stuff that you can't train from the skill set level that hire is always going to perform better because they're aligned with your values of the organization and of you as a leader. So that's where I would start. Makes sense. And as uh, to paraphrase, you can't really teach personality at the end of the day. Um, And there's a, you know, there's a friend of mine who recently got a job at LinkedIn and what, what stood out to me is a question that he was asked in one of the final rounds after, you know, gazillion rounds and rounds with everybody. Um, his direct manager asked him a question, which was within the lines of what can you do with your eyes closed? And when he answered something, I guess he, he worked out because they liked him, they hired him. But he, he later asked, what is really the purpose of that question? What do you mean? What can I do with my eyes closed? And the hiring manager revealed that a lot of times when you ask somebody, what can you do with your eyes closed? People tend to, you know, self-gravitate and talk about themselves, how amazing they are. Oh, I can, I can juggle Uh multiple things and it kind of, the ego comes out. And that question aims to kind of to test for that. uh, I guess the personality traits, are you more kind of on the humble side or are you more like you can go get into that self brag? So I thought that was interesting. I thought that was a pretty cool story that a uh, big company like that uses. That's a good question. I love that. See, my, my gut reaction is if somebody asked me that, I'd go, well, with my eyes closed, I can just take a minute to think. 
<laughs> yeah, probably yeah, yeah. Good, I, good answer, maybe. Yeah, I, it probably will be because he answered something like, "Oh, I, um, I, something like that. I sleep very well, or I can sleep, you know, like Perfect. for a long period of time." And <laughs> yeah. So, I, I thought that was an interesting story, kind of the anecdote in terms of uh, just interesting questions that try to reveal some of that personality traits goes hand in hand with what you're talking about. The skills are skills are one thing, but. Uh, behavioral questions and personality those are completely you know those those are challenging to reveal in the short oh, conversation yeah. or the interview i love one of my favorite ones uh joyce russell who's amazing by the way uh shout out to joyce uh she's president of a deco foundation now used to be president of a deco north america wow. and she would this is savage this is great so she wouldn't hire someone without like breaking bread with them taking them out to eat right and she'd always take them to one of her favorite restaurants. And no matter what drink they ordered, like a diet Coke or whatever, she would call ahead of time and make sure the server brought them something different than whatever they ordered to drink. So like if they ordered diet Coke, they bring them an iced tea or a Dr. Oh, okay. Pepper just to see how they react uh-huh. to that. And what is their personality going to be like when that happens? Are they going to go with the flow? And, you know, the thing is, and I, I can totally respect this. She would say, well, in our business, things mm-hmm. don't go your way all the time like things aren't going to go your way all day long and i want to see in you know in reality how you're going to react to something like that are you going to go with the flow are you going to get upset about it and not be able to handle it uh so it's definitely pretty cool i love that i love that i think that i think that's genius and it's uh it's interesting um we could probably spend the rest of the show talking about the different strategies that reveal things like this um the other side of the equation is as we get past the stage of you know the interviewing and we get to onboarding especially onboarding in a fully virtual environment that adds another layer of complexity because some companies do a great job some you know not so much what have you observed in the sense that candidate experience getting onboarded especially virtually so you know i understand the healthcare maybe not so much but yep. from your research or other clients that maybe companies that you you talk to, what are the areas of opportunity to improve that space and how do some organizations go about it? So the best way I've seen it, and by the way, let me caveat this, like no on like that from, I want to be careful how I word this, like when you go through the tasks of onboarding, getting your IDs together, getting entered into the system, all of that, like it it kind of sucks no matter what, John, like there's no great way to do it. Like, let's be real. But one thing that companies can do that I think is really interesting is do things other than that in order to make the experience better. So for example, uh, I mentioned I'm a director of sales over at Phenom people Uh, for onboarding their whole, their whole thing is their hashtag, not normal. And it is not a normal company. So on your first day, you don't even know this, but they, they write down, you write down like your uh, emergency contact information and HR is reaching out to your emergency contact, your friends and family. And they have them videotape like on their cell phones, like a quick 30 second video of like your mom, your wife, your kids, whatever, just saying, Hey, we're so proud of you. This is a great opportunity. I hope your first day goes well. And, you know, just, we love you and couldn't be more proud of you on your first day. They bring you out of training, (coughs) excuse me, and sit you down in a conference room and they put this on the TV and all the videos are mashed together. And like, dude, everybody cries. Everybody freaking cries about at that. 
And it's just like one of those little things on where the little things turn out to be really big things in onboarding. And, you know, this phenom has really taught me that, that the little things go such a long way. Uh, we did a focus group with CNAs talking about what was important to them and just asking them questions. Uh, one simple one who said, um, do any of your companies wish you happy birthday? All of them said, no, like, oh. nope don't even acknowledge our birthday. And it's things like that. So like making a video with somebody of somebody, making them feel really comfortable during that onboarding process and that they're not only part of the team, but that you're invested in their future as well, beyond anything else that you can do in the process, that's an opportunity to get something right. And I mean, let's be real. The bar is so freaking low at onboarding that like even little things that you do are going to go a really long way with these candidates. Yeah, absolutely. Little things definitely matter. And as a candidate, you probably, you pay attention to every little detail, especially in the first couple, you know, that initial period. Uh, so that's, you know, that's definitely a great observation. When, when, um, when we talk about just recently, we held uh, an executive roundtable, a webinar on the topic of, advantages of a marketplace economy where we spent some time talking about the contingent workforce, the, the extended workforce as you know, better term, uh, or the freelancer, the kind of the, the gig communities. Uh, there's been a lot of marketplaces popping up. Some are specialized, some are generalized. What are the different opportunities you see for organizations to tap into you know, communities as such? And what are the different trends that you see with kind of that freelance economy? You know, it's interesting because the gig economy, I feel like before the pandemic was taking off like crazy. And now I feel like it's kind of slid into reverse a little bit because the full-time opera people are so desperate. They're throwing money that we've never seen in the economy before at full-time positions. Mm -hmm. So an answer to your question is probably isn't a great answer, but I feel like the pandemic almost put the gig economy into reverse. Mm it'll be really interesting when we come out of this, what's going to happen. Cause I think it's going to come out like a bullet and become super important yeah. uh, to people as they, you know, as they progress and the economy goes as well. Um, but yeah, that's uh, honestly, that's what I'm seeing right now is it kind of took a little bit of a reverse mm -hmm. um, just because of how hard up employers have been for the past two years. Yeah. yeah but yeah, you know yeah, what? Absolutely. But it's going to be crazy because, of course, technology has progressed over the past couple of years. So when they come back in, what's that going to look like? I think it's going to be crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely going to be interesting to observe that. Um, you've spent some time in technology, software, and now in healthcare. Um, what are the different skill sets that you, you foresee to be in highest demand through the next you know, shorter period of time, through the next year, so to say? Um, what are the different opportunities you see? The reason I ask that is because a good portion of our listeners, about you know, 10 to 20 percent, are early stage career professionals. And a lot of times we get questions in terms of what are the different skills I should invest in? What are the areas that I should pay, you know, pay more attention to? Talk to us a little bit more from that perspective. Yeah. So I mean, I guess it depends, right? On what kind of where you want to go in life yeah. and what your expertise is. Like if you're um into software and IT, you know, I'd say data analytics is going to be huge coming up. We're seeing that growth quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And that now that we have all this data coming in, we need people to interpret that data. Yeah. 
and that's becoming a huge position on the IT side. Now, that's one side if you look at, okay, well, I already kind of have my life figured out, but like, all right, let's take my time back. So like Luke, the server, like what I didn't have it figured out. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of people out there in this world that don't, right? Well, you have tons of different options. So I guess you just really got to figure out uh, what's important to you. At this point in time, there's never, ever been more opportunities to get into so many different spaces, which is a great opportunity. Like Server Luke today would have healthcare open to him. He would have sales. He would have customer service. I could do anything in retail. I mean, retail is hurting like crazy right now. Mm-hmm. So I would, if, if I, if, you know, but if I were my younger self getting into this economy now, I'd figure out what's important to me. Is it flexibility? Uh, work from home is a huge option. Now you can have a virtual job wherever. Yeah. So if traveling or working or being with your family in different locations is my advice would be to people to pick out, you know, where they can go anywhere to pick out what they want their life to be in the future and what's really important to them. And then craft that career, that industry that they go into to best complement that. Right. Right. I love those observations. Um, the second part of each episode, we shift more towards the, you know, the guest on more and more spotlight on, on yourself. So in terms of your content diet, the resources that you consume on a daily basis to keep yourself informed, educated on all things going on in your industry, or maybe even outside of that, share with us some of those. Yeah, man. So I do. So, you know, being in recruiting, I, I read an article from ere.net. Uh, every single morning. It's like five minutes, right? One article every five, uh, every day. That's one thing that I do, just no negotiations. I always read an article every morning and it helps me. Uh, I've, I find myself talking about, maybe not referencing the article, but talking about those subjects every single day. <clears throat> and I get a little bit better every single day with that. Uh, also, I, I go down rabbit holes on Google, like you would not believe. So I'm that guy that'll like, just have a thought. Oh, I want to learn more about this. And like 45 minutes later, I'm like dangerous enough to have a conversation with it on Google. So I do a lot of that. Uh, I listen to about 30 minutes of audible, just audiobooks every single day. Uh, but I'm not, I know there's a, like, I feel like, especially on social media, People are like, oh, you need to listen to all these different books all the time. And da, 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 da. so I do the exact opposite of that, which I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I'll, I'll have the same book I listen to all the time and I keep re-listening to it based on what I want to focus on at that point in my career or that point in my life. So like lately I've been listening to this book. I probably listened to it like five or six times. It's a sales book called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. Uh, and it's just all about being transparent through the entire sales process, uh, uncovering what problems people are looking to solve and then helping them solve it. It's like a complex, it puts the complexity of the job in a very simple way. And I find it like kind of being my North star that I go back to all the time. Uh, so I have Tony Robbins books, man, that I, that I've listened to like 30 times and I keep going back to them on audible. Right, 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 right. Speaking of which, do you have one favorite that you always recommend to others? And why is that in terms of a book? Dude, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, uh, Navy SEALs. Have you read that book? 
No, I haven't, but it's been recommended so many times. I, it's on my list. <laughs> Dude, you got to read it. That one's the most important one. It's, well, uh, nice. yeah, it, what I took away from it is, you know, accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you are truly accountable to yourself and your team around you, like people are like, well, what does that mean? Like, oh, I'm accountable. Does that mean I take responsibility? Well, kind of. I mean, that's part of it. But where the magic happens is when you fully embrace it and your mindset is that you're accountable is you start making different decisions and you start taking different actions because you know you're the one that's accountable for it. So for example, when I go in and I'm trying to, I'm going to equate this to like a a software sales deal that I might be working sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm like, well, if we lose this, the I'm 100% accountable for it. It's not anybody else's on my team's fault. It's my fault alone. So when I go in there with my mindset, since I know I'm the one accountable, guess what I'm doing instead? I'm preparing the team better. I'm giving them a roadmap about what they need to be prepared for, about what questions they need to answer, about what ideas they need to bring to the meeting to talk to the prospect about. So just going in, knowing that you're more accountable for that, you actually take more proactive steps uh, either towards business, even your life. I mean, you can think about things like even with my wife or my family, uh, you know, Luke before reading that book would have just blamed things on circumstance sometimes, you know, but now I look at them in a different way and I'm more than okay with taking accountability and setting aside time to make, uh, things better. So I'd say if you, that book, extreme ownership, read it, it'll make you a better person like overnight. Love it. We'll make the link show notes um, with the author and all of that great stuff. Appreciate the recommendation. Tell us a little bit more about your own podcast. And I, I'm curious because the reason I've started Ivy Podcast is because, you know, not only I wanted to expand my network and all of that great stuff, but also an opportunity to learn from folks of, you know, different walks of life, different organizations. Uh, that was a huge opportunity, which still my, you know, by far the favorite part of the day when I get, you know, an opportunity like this to talk about, you know, different interesting topics. So that was kind of my, uh, my motivation behind this, but curious to learn a little bit more about what, what are different topics you cover and what was uh, kind of the motivation behind that? Yeah. So it's Bo Brabo and I are, uh, that's my co-host Bo Brabo. He's far more interesting than me, by the way, he's a army veteran. He used to be in charge of HR and communications for the white house under George Bush and Barack Obama. Wow. The man is like jumped out of airplanes, like with bullets flying over his head. He's like, yeah, he's way more, more of an interesting career than I've had. But, you know, we got together and, you know, just like you mentioned, it was kind of just a thirst for more information and how can we be better personally and professionally? So, you know, our goal is to help our listeners with that, but selfishly, John, Bo and I, I think get more out of it than either, even our listeners do because every week I get to talk to successful people that I would have never had the opportunity to talk to and learn from. Uh, We call it the way we describe it to people is like a, a, like a weekly protein shake, like a 30 minute protein shake for personal and professional development, where you can just listen to it, maybe get something out of it for time management, how to be a better father, how to be a better professional and push yourself forward. Uh, and so that's what we started doing with it. Now we're, we just passed over a hundred episodes. We're getting like a thousand downloads a day now. So it's kind of crazy how it's blown up. 
Nice, nice, man. Well, that's super exciting. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, look, in terms of last but not least, a career advice or maybe series of advice that you had received early on in your career that you continuously refer back to even these days and maybe even pay it forward that you use with some of the people that you mentor. Uh, share some thoughts from that perspective. Yeah, I have a couple. I mean, I'll start off with the like the super easy one is just be on time for everything. Yeah, it's like it's it's like this fad is going away. Why are people so late to things mm-hmm. nowadays? Like, you know, it's like yeah. it's acceptable to be late on Zoom. Like, it's not. Come on. <laughs> uh, so that's one. Like, if you want to stand out, like just be on time. You'll you'll stand out. Number two, uh, and I feel like when I was young, old people, all the people I thought were old always told me this, but now it like rings true. And I'm like, God, they're so right. It's just listening, listening. So I had like this giant epiphany a few years ago. So I went again down like my Google rabbit holes, right? About, about things. So I was looking at why salespeople lose deals. And so I came across an article and I was analyzing this and it said, look, the only the only lever as a salesperson you have to close a deal is information. And then they did studies and they said the, the average salesperson, get this, this is crazy, only retains 25% of what information the prospect is telling them. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I was like, look, I, I can still suck at listening. I could do, I could be, I could retain 35% and then beat everybody. Like I don't even have to be that much better. So that was one of those. And so I'll tell people that are, you know, listening on the podcast, like when you're in conversations, like that is your ammunition. That is the only thing you have to make you successful is information. So whether it's being better at note-taking or remembering or systems that you have for this, I don't care, record it and listen to it later. Like whatever it is, it's that important. You got to be able to retain the information people are telling you. So yeah. So, so that's another one. Um, and let's see other, I got a good one. So don't think of time management as time management. Think of it as time allocation. Hmm. So you don't manage your time. When you think about time management, you're automatically in defense. Right. Right. Then you're just responding to everything. You're not pushing your life forward. When you start thinking about it at alloca- as allocation, no, I'm going to allocate my time to this you'll be shocked how it changes your focus, how much quicker you can get things done. Mm -hmm. And then you're really the master of your own calendar. Cause now it's just, it's just a change in perspective about thinking about it really. Right. Because now you're saying, now you can make a decision and go, well, I'm, since I'm allocating my time, I'm not going to do that because that's a waste of time and it's not going to push things forward. Whereas before, when I was like managing my time, it's some, Oh, I, I have to do this. Really? No, no, you don't like (laughs) allocate. Yeah. So that, that was one thing somebody taught me where I, you know, now that I've switched my brain to think about it as allocation, I get twice as much done in half the time. Nice. I love it. Wow. And I'm shamelessly going to steal that from you. It's such a, you know, very simple, but like you said, it's a mindset, my mindset shift. Yeah. From the time allocation perspective, time investment. I think that's super cool. Um, Look, like with all uh, guests, what I love doing is a follow-up recording in about a year where we actually revisit a conversation from a year ago, listen to it, and see if everything we've discussed still makes sense, still applies. 
So I'm definitely looking forward to doing that with you too, with you as well. And uh, I, I, I genuinely thank you for this conversation. It was very short and insightful. I personally learned quite a bit. So I, uh, I definitely appreciated that. Well, if, you, if you'll have me back, depending on what the reviews say on the podcast, we'll see. <laughs> if you'll have me back, I will, I, will, I will absolutely join. That's right. That's right. Thanks so much, Luke. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ivy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed on ivypodcast.com and all major podcasting platforms like Spotify and iTunes. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes.